You've now entered the lap of luxury. Prepare your soul for a lavish journey into enlightenment. All right, dude. Let's do it. Are we recording? Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, I just, I guys, thanks for inviting me on here. I just want to tell all of our loyal listeners that they're welcome for my service. Uh, oh, my God. I knew this was coming. <laughs> well, uh, hey, guys, here's Shark. Um, he introduced himself as the best way Shark could possibly do it. So, uh, for, so I want to start off with, okay, I don't have this totally fleshed out, you know, but I was just thinking the other day, and I think Luxury, you, you made me think about this. Um, it's like I know there's like throughput problems and all that type of stuff, and you know, AFOQT maybe filters for a reason, but it's like if we need pilots and there's more pilots in jets than CISOs, and I think plenty of CISOs are capable of taking off and landing. That's really all it comes the different the differentiation comes down to, right? Is like why wouldn't we make sure people can't take off and land before we send them to be a CISO, you know? And I mean, you guys are perfect examples of that too, right? Because I mean, luxury is not done yet, but he's made it this far. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, Of like, you guys could have been pilots from the get-go, right? Or possibly, you know? So they basically missed out on that opportunity. And yeah, I'll stop it there. What do you guys think? I mean, they did. They did miss out on an opportunity because, like, I'm a super talented pilot, you know. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm the best pilot in the world, you know. So spoken. It's, he has spoken. Um, but no, like, what do you what are you seriously? Because I have a, I think I have a uh, contradictory thought to you guys. Really? I do. Yeah, I think so. But you go um, ahead. So, I think that uh, it's, it's, it's like you're wasting somebody, like, like if you take a guy, right, at least give them the ability to, like, at IFS, if they're doing well, to, like, jump up. You know what I mean? Where, and, and that sounds bad to all the navigator listeners but like like if you're going if you're slotted for CISO training and you're at IFS and you're doing well like they should be able to get like IFS should be able to go hey man let's send this guy to pilot training you know uh and at the very least now my extreme idea is that everyone just goes to IFS as a rated officer and then like it's like a drop night basically at the end of IFS and like a bunch of dudes get a pilot training slot and then like the next set of dudes get Wizzo or whatever, like you put in your dream sheet, right? That way, like guys that want to be Wizzos or Sizzos, like they can still have the option, right? So it's not like you're going to pilot training and if you're a good pilot, but you never wanted to be a pilot, you're going to be a pilot anyways. It would just be like, yeah, the people that want to be Sizzos can be Sizzos. And then, like, if you're trying to be a pilot, but you just weren't good enough, 
then like you're going to get the next thing done in your dream sheet, you know? So that's kind of like how I would see that working personally. And I would have liked the opportunity. I think they waste a lot of time when like they, like somebody's going to OTS or something and they're like, you got picked up for CISO. And so, but that guy's like a left seat regional pilot with like 4,000 hours. It's, it's kind of like you're wasting that guy by not sending him to pilot training because he can clearly fly like a regional jet. So he could probably fly a KC-135. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, I think that's a valid argument. Um, where, I, where I probably am opposite is I think, because uh, I think you didn't hit this port, but you, I know you said this earlier, um, or you kind of hinted at it. And you said uh, the people who should become navigators, the people who couldn't land or the people who failed out, I guess, of pilot training. And I think that could that, that could and probably most likely would create kind of even more of a caste system in the um, ready community because then people would be like, oh, well, He's a nav or he's a CISO because he couldn't hack it, you know, whereas as it is since now, it's not that the CISO or WISO necessarily couldn't hack it as a pilot. It's just they didn't like that might have been true because there are a lot of people who did pre-nav training um, at UPT. But um, there's plenty of people who are really good at what they do and would have like just like you guys said would have been just fine pilots um so it, it, it just doesn't it's not necessarily like oh a section or a whole afsc of rejects you know what i'm saying um i i, I yeah I, I just think that's that's my biggest thing or why i would say no and then on top of that i almost think um uh maybe you could have a top-off program for uh, i don't know i i personally think being having navigate like been a navigator or a CISO or whatever i think that was as a bonus and i think there should be um vice uh, vice versa there should be a kind of a role where you're a nav for two to three years and then you automatically go to pilot training instead of like you have to apply and do all this that, and the other because what you're gaining in aviation experience as a navigator is only going to be more beneficial to the air force as a whole and it's you're not really taking a chance like you have somebody who's vetted so i think that's if i was to go with it i would kind of go the opposite way where you say um hey we can't of, select you for pilot training right now but here's like your nav tour and you're guaranteed after your first assignment to go to pilot training yeah something like that or even that's just part of just like you have your upgrade process you know your your upgrade processes you know after probably a year or two years depending on your airframe you're now upgrading to you know instructor or um you know senior whatever you're if you have a multi-crew position aircraft if you're upgrading from EWO to Gunner and the AC, you're not, sorry, Gunner, um, EWO to the um, 
basically radar navigator equivalent, or if you're upgrading from navigator to radar nav in the B-52 or uh, Dizzo to um, Wizzo, is that what the Beagle is called? I don't fucking know. Whatever the defense, the offense uh, yeah. in the B-1, there should be that should, like basically those three tracks where you you can either upgrade or you can go to pilot training. Um, I think that would be more beneficial. I, I, I think that's an option. That's what I would personally like see. There's not like there's there's nothing wrong with what you guys thought that I that those are the problems I see. I just don't want that to be I wouldn't want that to be come like where it's like you're you're a second class citizen because navs are already fighting that within the pilot um and navigator communities, like when or when you have multiple like pilots and navigators in the same crew. Um they're always fighting that, so Yeah, and I guess yeah, those are all good good stuff. Um, I guess what the impetus kind of was, why can't, like, it's almost like in the B-52, let's say, I mean, obviously there's only so much bandwidth you could have. So if somebody was, let's just say, um, the, like if you're just an aviator, right? So you could be pilot or you could be Wizzo or Dizzo, whatever. That'd be kind of tough to maintain all that knowledge. But that would at least help the crew ratio or whatever you want to call it, where it's not like, okay, I can only be, I only have this many pilots and I don't have this many wizzos. So if one's a limb fact, then that essentially makes my crew, the amount of crews I can have, it like that's the minimum or I guess the maximum. I was thinking like, and then the only differentiator between pilots and wizzos, I think, or, you know, obviously is like flight controls, right? And I think a lot of CISOs could do that. And yeah, I get the cast system thing, but I guess in what I was trying to do was empower more CISOs to be able to do it. But sure. I think I see it. what you're saying now. Uh, so you're kind of saying, like, let me let me explain this, what I'm thinking, and see if this jives with what you're saying. So instead of having pilots and navigators, you have all pilots, and then it's your job to maybe on this mission or it's your job to be a CISO for this aircraft. You're still a pilot, but you're just doing a CISO job or something. Is that correct or no? Yeah, it checks, yeah. Okay. That makes, oh, I can see okay. that. I didn't understand that. That's kind of like, uh, that's, that's like how they did in Vietnam with the F-4s. Like we had like some of them were WIZOs, some of them were just pilots who were the backseaters. Like you had to do like yeah. a tour, at, like you had to do a tour as a um backseater before you went to the front seat so i if you if you say like the way you explain it like that that makes sense to me yeah and that way again i think it's it really comes down to the crew that's that's your like the pro of it all is that now if i have like 70 people i divide that by let's just say four or five whatever you want and that's how many crews i have versus oh i only have this many pilots so i can only have this many crews basically yeah um so we I, I sometimes think we handcuff ourselves, but then I mean it's the question of what uh, where those filters are in place probably for a reason, you know, with AFOQT or something, but I don't think they actually are. <laughs> yeah. You know, like like it, I mean exactly again, you guys are the example, right? Like you guys didn't make it to pilot or pilot initially for whatever reason. I don't know. I don't know if you want to share it or not, if it was AVQT or whatever else, but now you're there. So it's like, you could have just been there from the get go. Right. Uh, 
generally speaking, you know. So it's like maybe we're basically filtering out people um, that we don't have to, if that makes sense. Yeah. There's probably a better better way to put it, but. Yeah, I mean, I can't really speak to myself, but, or I can, but it's, I don't know. Go ahead, what you're saying? And I mean, again, this is not in like the weeds. So obviously there'll be still like a throughput problem of getting, you know, I mean, you guys tell me like with UPT, you probably had to wait a few months to even get into a class, right? So that's not going to be helped. And they, I mean, they're trying their best to maximize class uh, student numbers, but then there's only a limit, you know? So, but I guess maybe I'm thinking if you were able to hit like the reset button, it would have been better to do, like you guys were saying, uh, what was it, F4 you said? Where yeah. you're basically just just an aviator and anybody can put it, be in any role, you know? Or maybe you work your way there, but it's like, it just it just struck me as weird that we don't do that in a sense. And the only differentiator is because somebody didn't go to see if they could take off a lane, I suppose, in a simplistic. Yeah, I know for me, if I had been sent to pilot training right away, I would have either, I believe, with that, with without the aviation experience that I learned in nav school and just being in the buff, uh, I don't think I would have passed. Like, I had a hard enough time getting through nav school uh, just because I had no, like, even though I knew what airplanes were and I generally got how airplanes worked, I wasn't, I didn't have the... Um, I didn't understand how the Air Force worked and how to play the game the way I do now. Um, and I, th- I think I would have, like, like I said, I had a hard enough time getting through nav school. Um, and it's not through, like, I'm, I still have the same <clears throat> work ethic I had then as I have now. It's not that it wasn't in me. I just didn't understand how people are, like, just doing s- small things. Like, something as simple as, verbalizing what you're doing instead of just doing it that yeah can, that can change right like that can change a grade from being a fair or an unset to a good or excellent maybe not excellent but like a good you know just because like if like i i didn't understand that so i would just like do shit and they'd be like why, why aren't you doing this i'm like you can't see it, but I'm literally about to do this. So if I at least tell them, hey, I'm about to do this, they're like, oh, okay, he knows what he's doing. But then they're like, hey, man, you're really behind. I'm like, am I, though? Because <laughs> <laughs> I was literally, like, if you, like, had taken a hot second to wait, you know, but then again, they can always say, oh, well, I waited that hot second. But, you know, it's just one of those things that I didn't understand. That's how you play the game. Um, yeah. And people who did did better it's not that they were better or they are better now than i was or am just how it is and i was slow to it my first three years in the air force or no i'd say first two years in the air force were really tough for me i just not i i was not and still kind of am not the i don't learn the way the air force wants us to learn so yeah the game is ships essentially yeah i definitely i'm kind of like on a um, I don't know what it's called, um, what type of scale that is, but like I'm not a linear mover. Like I don't. It takes me a long time. I'm, I'm kind of like a turbo, you know. Like I take a while to spool up, but once I spool it up, I can produce the power. Uh, 
but yeah, it, I it, think it, I'm the same way. I think I gotta like wrap my head around stuff. I can't just like regurgitate information and I don't know whatever else you know. Yeah, there's people who can like, read the book one time and they know it and they'll never forget it, or they can you know they just have to read about it and they try to do it. Like I'm a person who has to do it, mess it up, do it again, mess it up, and then do it a third time, and then like okay, I get what you're saying. Yeah. See, yeah, I I, th- I think I would have passed pilot training, like right off the bat, you know. We know shark like. Well, yeah. You think, was, go ahead. I'm because I'm great. I'm like the most talented pilot you guys know, you know. So. <laughs> do you think you, you guys, got? Do you think you would have got vipers? Yeah, I think I could have hacked it. I uh, see. I I I don't know if I I no, I don't think I would have gotten anything. I would have been in, no no offense <laughs> to our KC one. 35 guys but i would end up like 135 or something um again that's not a hack it's just i i wouldn't have i wouldn't have ended up like that anyway sorry that's i've already all, those, all our all our kc135 listeners are just turning off the the podcast right now yeah well i mean there's, there's difference between like i think most of the people like everybody gets it like again this is one of those things not saying people are bad pilots it's just sometimes people take a while to like there's tons of people who are phenomenal pilots that's like we talked about. Um, if anybody remembers Front, um, did you guys yeah. know him? Um, yeah. I've heard many people say he had the best hands of like any pilot that we had we had ever seen. You know, uh, and I heard that multiple times from multiple people. And he was a fape, and he still ended up in the um, B fifty two. And I don't think he wanted the B fifty two. Then we all know there's nothing wrong with the buff, but. He ended up there just because of happenstance or circumstance, you know. For whatever reason, he that's where he ended up. Um, yeah. I mean, what do you guys? Go ahead. It that whole thing, like I'm like in my mind, just like once you get to pilot training, like, and I tell guys this all the time, like, and. uh now some of the navigators are going to turn off the podcast, but like, like I tell guys all the time, like, especially like enlisted dudes that like want to be like rated officers. I'm like, dude, go to pilot training. And they're like, well, I don't really know if like, I like flying airplanes or like, I want to be at the controls or whatever. And I'm like, go to pilot training. Like, and they, they kind of like look at me kind of weird and they're like, and, and not all communities are like this, but, pilots will like until there's no more controls in the airplane like pilots will be the top of like the community just because like of the leadership and like the leadership requirement to like be an aircraft commander or like fly a single seat airplane and manage a formation or like there's just it and you just don't get that like like just the nature of the crew dynamics like the pilot is in control of the airplane and yeah, like the, the Wizzo might be the mission commander, but like the pilot is in control of the airplane. And so like, I, you'll never get like through that dynamic, you know, like, does that make sense? Yeah. The one thing uh, I think, I think that's inherently going to happen, but it might be a little bit, messed up but there's also more pilots is another contributing factor yeah and then uh shit what 
are there are there like in the in the buff like i don't really remember are there more pilots in the b-52 than like in the community than there are other dudes i don't think i was talking i was talking about the i was talking about the air force but uh i don't i don't think so right now because there's you know obviously three three out of the five positions are non-pilot right but um what I was going to say was there's actually a lot of B-2 Wizzo commanders right now. And I think we started seeing the shift, which I don't know. I mean, that could just be a small sample size or whatever, but there might be uh like if, if it's true that pilot or it just happens to be that the pilots are better leaders or whatever else and should be the commanders, then that's fine. But if it's just a culture thing, then I think that's odd. I'd like to weigh on this. Um, I think a lot of this, like, I see, I think Shark is correct, but I think Port, you're on to something when you say it's the culture thing. So, and it, again, in in favor of what Shark's talking about, you kind like because you are like we always hear aviate, navigate, communicate. So flying the airplane is always number one the most important thing, right? Like, cause if you can't fly the airplane or you're crashed because you're not flying the airplane, what good is having the airplane? So that's always going to be number one. And that's why people are always like the person who's in charge of the aircraft is the one who's flying it. Right. Um, that being said, if this was a different world or you could restart, I could definitely see having somebody be the aircraft commander who is not, the pilot where the pilot is essentially just a bus driver this is i know this is heresy for everybody i'm around um but at what point you know like if you have an aircraft commander and a co-pilot why is like how is it so hard to understand that the aircraft commander doesn't necessarily have to be flying he's still calling the shots and saying what we're going to do right um you could easily have a, or not easily, you could have a non-pilot crew member do this. The logistics would not work how we are currently set up. You would have to like go back to, you know, when we started flying two people in an aircraft and change it all from there. Because um, if you had like, I don't understand, like my, my, my question would then be, if you have a, ah, it's tough. Maybe then I'm, now I'm waffling back on it because <laughs> if you have, like, you know, like what happens when you're in an emergency, right? And you can't be having somebody, like, who's sitting downstairs being like, all right, tell me everything that's happening upstairs and we're going to make a decision. This is in the B-52. Like, no, if you're in an emergency and it's like a, a flight, like flying safety issue, you're going to, you need the pilots to make the decision, right? Because they're the ones who are actually like, I can feel the controls. I can make the best decision because I see all these gauges and what's happening. So it's tough and i don't and i don't think that's they're saying that pilots to kind of shark uh, what shark was saying but more in the point of port i don't think that pilots are necessarily better leaders i think they're taught to be leaders from the beginning for versus CISOs or abms or loadmasters are taught they are so they are a support or they're trying to support the rest of the crew versus pilots are told the rest of the crew is supporting you <clears throat> even if it is a bomber aircraft where the most important person on the aircraft 
is the navigator pickling the weapon, you know, or a F-15E where the Wizzo is the one who's doing all the shit if it's not air-to-air. So, yeah. I just, it seems like to me, and the difference between, like, pilot training and scissor training was, like, from pilot training, like, day one in T6s, they're, like, training you like you're gonna go fly a single-seat airplane. Like, and it is... It is you are the dude and you make all the decisions and all, you make all the radio calls and you set the power and like everything. You put the gear up, you put the gear down, like you make exactly. all your call outs. And, and like as opposed to at CISO training, it's like you are a part of a team and there will always be another person in the aircraft that you have to make decisions with. And like the onus is not so much on the CISOs to be like, it is your decision. Now, of course, in like when you get into like the T25, obviously we all know about that, but like uh, it just the onus is then on you to control the airplane through like the pilot control panel. But I guess the good instructors from my experience at that time were like they'd throw you bones as if they were another person in the aircraft because they know you're not flying alone ever. So it, it, there was a, def, a definite difference in, and that's kind of what you're saying. And I, I agree with you is like at pilot training, they're taught from an early age, like you're the dude making all the decisions. So like, like net up to it basically. Right. So, yeah, I think this could, this could go to a larger, um, to, bring this to the macro level, even outside of the military or air force or the flying community. um, There's something to be said for just being nurtured that way. Just like you see like different class systems within even America here. Um, When you have people who are told they're going to be the people in charge of everyone, always they grow up to be the people in charge of people all the time. Or when people are around them telling them you will be successful because X, Y, and Z, and you like everybody will look to you for answers they become the leaders versus when other people are kind of told like hey you know if you just make it by just survive this that and the other they're put into kind of like these like uh not marginalized because i hate that word I've, I've been on a kick of being against the marginalized communities term but um um when you're told you like you ain't shit and you're not going to be shit, then you believe you're not going to be shit versus people like growing up saying like, Hey man, you're going to be somebody great one day and you have to, so you have to make these decisions. People think about that and they do it and they become exactly what they were told to become. So, and then when you bring it back to the micro level in the aviation world and you say, Hey, you're the one who's going to be in charge because you're, it's going to be just you in this airplane or you're going to be in charge and have to make decisions for everybody on this airplane. You're going to be in charge of, you know, 10 to 30 lives or however many people um, or two to 30 lives. You need to be able to call these shots and do stuff. And if you force people to do that, they will, they will do exactly as you want them to um, and be successful. Yeah, and I suppose the question is, those are good points. When it comes to being, like, moving on in your Air Force career, 
I understand pilots got more leadership experience, I suppose. But if you just look at it on paper, that's not going to translate, right? So is it, I think it's just a culture thing, right? And I mean, maybe it's not a culture thing. You know? I don't know. I'm not saying they just filter by pilots only and don't they don't look at the Wizos. Sure. No, I, th- you're, I think you are right. It is like it is a culture. Like from day one, there like the culture is that if you're a pilot, you're the guy. And at Wizzo, like if you're in, I'm sorry, Sizzo uh, school, they're not telling you you're not the guy. They're just not telling you you are the guy. <laughs> that is, they just yeah. They say, that, and also, you got to think about it like this. And I know I've been susceptible to this. This is both in NAS school, pilot training, flying in the civilian world. If you have somebody else who you know is ultimately in charge, you're a lot more lax when it comes to like, ah, I don't have like, if I mess this up, it's okay because somebody else is going to catch it. Or if I mess this up, somebody else will like, uh, somebody else is flying the airplane. I don't have to worry about this. Or like, if I can't make this radio call good, he'll, he'll step in and make the right radio call for me. And no matter how, like, no matter how you cut it, that's kind of, I think that's always in the background. And I think that's what, that's the biggest hindrance in nav training is because you are never just you uh, versus, you know, a pilot told you, Hey, you might be a single seat. So if you um, can't make the radio call, no one's going to come save you. If you get into a sticky situation and you can't get out of it, you die. No one else comes to get you. (laughs) Like he, you will like you're going to have to take this to a logical conclusion because no one's going to come save you. So yeah, it's just a culture thing, like like you said, but it's almost like a necessity. Do you think it is though? Because does I mean, yeah, like I said, they possibly <laughs> get better training with that type of stuff, but. What about their capabilities of just leading? Oh, uh, I agree. Like, no, it has nothing to do with being a better leader because leadership is separate from ability to do a job. If that makes right. sense, or like technical expertise, I should say. Oh no, I think pilots make the worst leaders. Like, <laughs> like, and that's a whole nother rabbit hole we could go down. But like, I think that like in terms of when you talk about leading the big organization of the air force, like the worst person you could ever possibly select is a pilot. Like, <laughs> I don't know about that. Shark, but no, it's, I, it's true. I, I, I dude, I a hundred percent believe that because like, and so this is news, but like, uh, you know, I'm going into the maintenance world. Uh, that's my new job. Um, I know I'm going to, yeah, I'm like filling in for, the DO for the our we call it the fighter generation squadron, which used to be just like the AMU. But dude, those guys, like maintenance officers and like non-rated officers, they get so much better like organizational leadership than like a pilot. Because think about you have a you have a pilot, and by the time he becomes a squadron commander. His only leadership experience has been like he was a lettered flight commander or he was like an ADO or the DO. And it's just like, okay, but 
he's never really led more than like six people. You know what I mean? Or or she's shark. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm clearly a chauvinist. No, no, I know what you mean. That yeah, that is a good point. We don't get the um like enlisted or big leaders perspective like the other people going through the pipeline, like they're a second or ten, they're in charge of whatever, a hundred people or something like that. Right. I mean like the FGS that I'm going into has three hundred people in it. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and it's like, and I'm going to be, and I didn't, you know, I didn't even think about this, but like everything that I say, right, goes like out of my mouth into the ear of some senior master sergeant and all the way down, like 20 people down to like an A1C, you know, and whatever I say, it could, it could change that, like it could make it so that dude, his whole weekend is fucked, right? Because right. like all of a sudden they got to work on the weekend to fix a jet or something, and it's just like it. You don't pilots don't get that that kind of like opportunity or like you know it's easy for for the for ops to just like oh we have like thirty people and like there's we we got to find a place to sleep sleep them all it's like we'll just take over half a hotel but it's like maintenance needs a whole fucking hotel you know yeah and it's yeah. just like it, and that's just like you know it's it's a what does my brother call it uh um something of scale i can't remember um economy of scale or something where it's just yeah like, because because it like you know they work on such larger numbers and the example i'll give you is like when we were deployed the main body jet broke right and there were nine pilots on the main body jet but there were 250 maintainers right and so right. they had all moved out of their rooms turned in all their linens like they weren't pulling their bags back off the jet. So they had no toiletries. And like, I'm sitting there and I'm drinking with the maintenance chief. And he's like, I need your help. We got to find beds for 250 people and toiletries and linens. And it's like nine o'clock at night on the base. And of course, all the support organizations in a deployed environment still work bankers hours for some goddamn fucking awful reason. But uh, so it's just like, and, and I started thinking about it. And he was like, yeah, like ops has nine pilots and they're probably just like throwing them in a closet, which is kind of what we did. And but you can't just do that with 250 maintainers. And so there's like you have to like you're forced to think about the big organization a lot earlier in your career than like a pilot is. And so, like, I think, yes, he's a pilot, so he's well suited to lead a magcom for example in from like a strategic level but like as far as like big organizational leadership i think that there's like a very steep learning curve between like squadron commander and like wing commander you know what i mean agree yeah. i agree a thousand percent i think we've talked about this uh quite a few times on the podcast and the catching jets episodes you kind of Look at how you look. Uh, sorry, look at how you look. When you look 
at how different branches uh, approach their leadership styles um, or how they lead. Those, like, because we would even take, like, let's, let's forget that, like, you're talking about not leading enough people. So in a multi-crew aircraft, when you have, you know, five people, we'll use B-52 as an example. You got, we'll just say, yeah, you have 10 crews, so you have 50 people, and one person in charge of 50 people. Okay, cool. Um, you're, you're in charge of all officers, right? Like, that's that doesn't even come close to being in charge of even 50 mixed groups of people where it's like, you know, like 50 people that, because most of the Air Force is like 85% enlisted. So if you, you say, I'm a squadron commander and I'm in charge of 50 officers, well, that's a whole different can of wax being, than being in charge of even 30 enlisted people uh, because yeah. you're getting a much wider swath of people um, age-wise and personality-wise and experience level, um, education. So you can't treat you can't treat everybody. And I found this out the hard way when I was at AOL. Uh, you can't treat everybody like the same way you treat officers because I would when I tell a like even as a flight commander I tell the you know first lieutenant say hey this needs to be done. Usually it's like okay and it's done up to the level of an officer or at least a you know NCO's level. But when I tell or, or even having saying like I have to explain I don't have to explain the detail to the officer, but when I tell you know a senior airman or you know some E4 it's like hey I need this done they're like well okay how do I do that and then they have like 85 different questions like they don't have the maturity sometimes unless they've been around for a while uh, because they might only be you know 19 20 years old. And they just haven't had that experience yet versus, you know, if you're a first lieutenant or a young captain, you're, you know, 24 to 26 years old and you've been doing a thing for four or five years. And so, yeah, but we, I mean, hell, there's people we, we knew we were back in, uh, we were all together. You tell them like the fact that you're an officer and you don't know when your PT test is due. That's like, <laughs> you know, that's like a senior airman mistake. That's or that's a that's a, a mistake that I would expect an E three to do, not an O three. That's right. Uh, and on the whole, that doesn't happen because most people understand. Hey, I think I'm about due for my PHA or my PT test or whatever. But that's it's just not. People don't keep track. And if I saw it firsthand, it's not that they're shitty or they're bad people. Uh, sometimes the enlisted guys just they they just got. Um, they're just not mature that sure enough because they are still, you know, 18, 19 years old, 20 years old, even 23 years old. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, and also you kind of touching on to the, you can't be like, we're used to be bros with everybody in our squadron. You know, it's like, you can't do that with uh, all the invested and all the officers, even that you don't know, you know, it's like, and also rank isn't, too much of a thing to us because of you know you take the rake off in the jet and that culture shock too has to be managed if you lead at scale um yeah sharp, I mean, i'll give an example just real quick of that right 
So uh, I ended up like, so when I got extended on my deployment, which we'll talk about later, but like I ended up being the, the maintenance chief was like, oh, you're going to be the DO back at Shaw. So why don't you just like help me out out here and do all the like officer coordination things. And I said, okay. And that's where I like started seeing a lot of the stuff that I'm kind of talking about. But uh, I like asked one of the pro supers for something one time. And uh, it was like, it was like he could have said no. Like, and I think if it had been another pilot, the guy probably would have said no. But he was just like, oh, yeah, 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 I'll do that. And and the chief looks at me and he goes, he goes, he's not going to say no to you. Like, and and I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you're 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 the captain. Like, and and he's, he's like, you're the highest ranking person here in this room right now, like with all of us. Right. This is after they left. But uh, and and I was, it just that boggled my mind because on the flyer side it's like you know some major like tells you to do something and we can easily like just go yeah fuck that guy i'm not doing that you know <laughs> yeah so yeah checks um, sorry what were you gonna say i was gonna say do you want to talk about your deployment uh, you know mm. as much as you want to or or little you want to whatever i just i guess like it was okay I I question why I I question our the string of logic they've come to to justify our our presence there. Does that make sense? Yeah, you can't say the general location of it. I mean, it's the Middle East, right? Uh, okay. So, yeah. but like, I feel like you know we're out there. You know, our deployment was so like mission heavy and it was like we're blowing shit up like that was very clear purpose. Right. And I got out there and the wing commander stands up and he goes, all right, guys, we're all about partner nation integration. And it's like, okay. And he's (laughs) he's like partner nation integration, good training with our allies and agile combat employment. And I'm like. Oh God, you know, this is going to be one of those things. Like it's just all the buzzwords. Yeah. Like he's hitting all the buzzwords and, and uh, to me, the idea of doing training on a deployment is ridiculous, right? You just took like 32 guys away from their family for six months. Oh, not to mention the 300 maintainers that were there too. Like all of them away from their family for six months so that we could go fly training sorties downrange, right? Yeah, you just like move move training from CONUS to OCONUS. It's like, like, dude, we might as well have gone to Guam, you know? Right. Like, yeah. And I'm looking forward to going back there one of these days. Oh, man. I would, I, that's a kind of my hope is that if I get Masala, that means TDYs to Guam. So um, that's going to be sick. But anyway, oh, yeah. Um, but I just, I don't know, man. It Obviously, we were flying like, we were flying like uh, counter uh, UAS missions. 
but like it it's like we're doing that to protect Americans on the ground when like it, no one wants us to be there you know what I mean like everyone's like the Americans need to get the fuck out of the Middle East like I imagine that's how everyone in the Middle East feels I mean that's the kind of sense that I got is like why the fuck are they still like why the fuck are they still here basically and it's like we're flying these missions to protect Americans on the ground that the country that they're in kind of doesn't want us to be there anyways so we can easily just pull the Americans out and then our presence wouldn't be required anymore you know what I mean yeah I think a lot of it is are you about to give me a Bob answer no I don't I mean I don't think so I think a lot of it is they just like I mean sometimes we get um slots to deploy to the to the deed or whatever like the AOC or something and it's and then people go there or wherever else and then they're like dude I didn't do shit for like six months you know like they made like powerpoints or something and then it's like an 05 or something you know right. and and I think a lot of it comes down to people just don't want to let go of slots and in your case maybe they had that deployment coming up and somebody just put you there or, you know, they, they had you scheduled and they put you there and then they just came up with something for you to do. Yeah. Which, which like, didn't, didn't, uh, the juice wasn't worth a squeeze, you know? Right. Cause it's like, you took me away from my family for six months because I'm closer to my family than I've ever been to go like fly around in circles, and <laughs> literally do nothing. Yeah. No, I mean, it tricks. Uh, and I, I wonder, this might be the Bob answer. I wonder how hard is it for them? I'm guessing it's really tough to add, like if, let's say with my case, like DDOC, uh, billets, if they got rid of billets and said, shit, we don't need guys anymore or girls, um, because we're, you know, slowing down in this region. It's more about other regions. Well, if something already, did happen. They're already doing that. Like, no, I know, but I'm saying if it's they're probably hesitant to get rid of slots because it's hard to add slots or like re-add them you know maybe right but guess what you can't we can't function like that we don't have the manning to function like that it's not like you just have like extra people around so that absent can justify their existence like the other thing the other problem i have is like they've moved absent like away from like it used to all be headquartered at the deed. And it was like, if you worked at absent, you were going to go to the deed. Right. And now it's like half of, if not three quarters of absent is at Shaw. Right. So it's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. That's right. So it's like the Magcom that is in charge of the area of responsibility is completely out of touch with what is going on in that AOR because they're not there. Yeah, I think out of touch is probably what encapsulates all this, you know, or. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, I mean, dude. Well, never mind. I can't even talk about that on this podcast, but like there are, it's, it's like half of the assets are operated by people, obviously that aren't even sitting in the AOR, right? And like yeah. half the people you're talking to aren't even physically in the AOR. Like it's just 
it's all so fucked up to to me. It's all so fucked up. It's like it's like okay, dude, I get it. Like the Middle East is an important strategic thing with like all the adversary countries there and the Russians and whatever. But like, really, is this worth? Is this worth what we're putting our people? That that's kind of like like the the question that I feel like hasn't been asked is like is what we're doing out there worth what you're putting your people through? I right. think what it comes down to is a big problem in the Air Force is everything's a priority. So, you know, like, and everybody wants to say their mission is number one. So nobody is willing to, as they say, divest to invest, you know, like, okay, you can take some of my people here. <laughs> You take some of my people here and uh, so that you can do your mission over there. But then when I need people, I, you know, I need to get them back. But I don't need that right now. You know, nobody's willing to do that. Everybody's like, no, I need people. I need to keep them. Oh, nothing's going on over there, though. It's like, no, but I, yeah, I need to keep them because they're doing things, you know. Yeah, I I might need them just in case. Oh, just in case. Let me have these extra guys. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, nobody wants to basically say they're not doing anything essentially is what it comes down to. Or well, it's kind of it's kind of like when you're the RA and you're like you're like, guys, I gotta get new office chairs like uh, every year because like if I don't spend all the money on my budget, we may never get it back. And it's like it's like we have to keep sending people to the Middle East because if we stop sending people, then we won't be able to send more people when it is required. And it's like yeah, wait, exactly. that's that's if we had fought World War II like that, no one would have ever left the army in 1945. You know, yeah, I think we have a rude awakening coming our way, but I in in what sense of that? Like, I think well, I we're mean, not we're not very proactive I mean, about figuring out our weaknesses and vulnerabilities in that sense, and like adjusting. It's like they're yeah. like they have to wait for an issue to happen to say, "Oh shit, maybe we should do it this way." You know, right? And and. I mean, certain things were happening in the world over there where I could see that they were like, oh, we have too much committed to this region of the world. We have to pull stuff to like deal with another thing, you know, and it's just like, it's like, okay, that should be the moment where you're like, you're like, wow, this entire AOR has become a storage facility. Right. (laughs) That's a funny way to put it. Yeah. I wonder how much the generals work together, right? Like, I mean, they don't. Know that's the problem. Is they're not on the same team. They work against each other. It's like right. these are these things that I have. That these assets that are de- are in my Magicom. These are mine, and right. you cannot use them. Right? Yeah. Like Paycom was, fights Centcom and all that type of stuff. Yeah, Paycom fights Centcom. Centcom fights Ucom. Like, it's just like, dude, you guys like same motherfucking team, dude. Like yeah, and just like pilots and whizzos, huh? Yeah, it and all came you know back what? together. It all, dude, it all comes full circle. But like, here's my point, right? Just like, just like, you know, pilots have to admit that sometimes they're just bus drivers, and whizzos <laughs> sometimes like they're not going to be like the final decision maker because they're not operating the aircraft, like. Like, just like both of those parties have to come to those mental compromises, like the generals need to like have enough self-awareness to be like, 
wow, my AOR is not the priority right now. Let me help, you know? Yeah, Instead of like being a hindrance to operations. Because yeah. when when they go, this stuff is mine and this is how we're operating, it's like, dude, you're not helping the team. Right? Right. And honestly, it's probably because they weren't developed to 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 like know that. You know what I mean? Like I that's and here we go full circle again, right? It's probably because they're a pilot, right? And they think they're operating inside of their canopy, right? And all the decisions that they make, it happens, right? And anything outside of their canopy, they can't. They can't. They they have no idea. You know what I mean? And yeah, and like, and I'll tell you, man, and Luxury will attest to this when he starts flying the F sixteen. But like, like the least empathetic people I've ever met in my entire life. Like if you if you see someone fucking up, like fucking away their formation or whatever, you're like, man, that dude over there sucks. But he could be like fighting for his life because the jet is just going fucking haywire and that's why he's out of position. Right. Right. But you're sitting in your jet like, man, that guy sucks right now. But then when it's happening to you, you're like, oh, I'm I'm all like, I'm all tumbleweed and everything. And it's like, so fuck, fuck the other guy. Right. And so it's just like you you operate in your, in your like little space and like anything that happens outside of that is, it's, it has nothing to do with you and, and everybody else is, is screwing it up. You know what I mean? Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Can, uh, are you guys able to hear me right now? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, sorry. I, trying to go actually look this up but i can't remember maybe it was i was just talking to you maybe a couple weeks ago shark about this but there's an exact term for that uh i don't remember what it is um that's what i'm trying to look it up but whenever what you're kind of describing tell me if this is right whenever i like look at we're all looking at ourselves as me like whenever i am having a problem or i am not doing very well it's because it's the world is unjust and I haven't gotten a fair <laughs> shake. But when somebody else is having a problem, it's because they suck. They're not very good. They just can't hack it. Um, right. And then whenever um, I catch a break, it's because I deserved it. But whenever somebody right. else catches a break, it's because they're always catching breaks and they never have anything bad happen to them. Right. That's kind of like the feeling. I, I'm going to look up that term, but yeah, that's. We, we did have, we had this exact conversation actually. Yeah. Cause I remember you saying that exact same thing. I'd be interested to hear what term it is. I'm guessing it's like a fallacy or a bias or something. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, I think it was a bias. I'm going to look it up right now. It just, to me, it just sounds like narcissism. Like, who better to explain that shark what was that we used to say you're a narcissist bastard bastard. (laughs) (laughs) alright I don't know if you're still looking up anybody got anything else I think we're getting close to wrapping up are we we almost at an hour we're at hour four I think Uh, I think total time the Quarter time is like 55. 
Oh, okay. Hell yeah. There was a... Oh man, I'm I'm not gonna be able to find find it. It's too it's too niche. I'll 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 write it when I figure it out. Well, yeah, I'll find a description or something. Yeah. Um, I had something. Um, All right, go right ahead. It was. Uh, I'm actually already talked about this before. Uh, never mind. Disregard. Okay. Well, so hey, how about this one? Uh, so like, what's uh, I, I saw Sharky bought a new car, huh? Because you got a, you got a, you got a what? What is it? It was a GTI or something like that. Yeah, a Volkswagen GTI. Because yeah. you bought you sold your truck and then you bought a Volkswagen and then did you sell it and then you bought another Volkswagen? Yeah. So I sold my truck and then I was like, well. I sold my truck because I thought the used car market was like going to tank like during my deployment. So I was like, I'm, I'm going to get rid of the truck right now. Right. Yeah. Jokes on me. It only went up. I should have kept my truck because I would have cashed out for like 20 grand instead of 17 grand. But, uh, and that yeah. would have been legit, but. Um, oh, right. 3k is really, you're really going to hold on to that. Well, I mean, it was just in my driveway. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm just saying over your lifetime, but sorry, go ahead. Over my lifetime, but over six months, three grand's pretty damn good, dude. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, but, and I loved that truck. I hated getting rid of it. Um, I know, it's old faithful, baby. I can't believe you. I, I know, dude. I rescued so many people in that thing. <laughs> I think, I think I rescued you one time, uh, when you lived at, uh, what was those apartment complexes in Minot? I don't think you did. I don't know what you're talking about. No, it was like the first, my first snowstorm there. You were like, dude, I can't get to work. And I was like, I'll come get you. And then you rode with me to work. Because oh. the snow was like insane, dude. The On the northwest side of town there? Yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, yeah, dude, it was just. But so I was like, oh, I can get 17.5 out of this truck. So I was like, and then I can turn around, put a down payment in cash on my airplane for the avionics upgrade to start the autopilot while I'm deployed. And then just pump all my deployment money into the airplane. Uh, and as, as, as it happens with old airplanes, like they get in there, they open it up, they start finding shit, and like the price quickly goes from like 35k total to like 50k total. So, damn. Um, yeah. Um, Shark, have you ever heard "Don't put all your eggs in one basket"? I have heard that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, have you also have you heard the term uh, "If it flies, floats, or fucks"? Lease it. You're better <laughs> off renting. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I would love to have an airplane, but um, the, the the good thing about airplanes, and I was telling Port this, is like they real like airplanes like really don't depreciate. Like, yeah. <clears throat> especially like smaller single engine airplanes, because dude, you want to go buy a brand new like. G36 Bonanza, uh, like where it's a six, 
six seat version version of my airplane with a bigger engine nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars yeah that's ridiculous my god and and like you can get you could buy then but then someone could just go buy my airplane which it fucking flies and it's almost the same airplane and it's as well equipped as a brand new bonanza for a hundred and fifty thousand dollars right yeah, and I'm just, and, sorry. What? What? I was just gonna say we we didn't record this, but uh, just make sure you have a buyer. That's what it's you know. You're well, saying dude, these these like this like the Bonanza is like one of the most sought after airplanes on the market. It's like just saying. they 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 want them, and there's always a broker out there that will buy a buy an airplane from you, like. So you may lose a little bit because he has to make a profit on the back end, but uh, there will be a buyer on the back end. Like aviation is really strange in that sense. It's not like selling a car or even selling a boat. Like it, there's there's very is a very like niche thing, and there will be a buyer. Like and okay, it, yeah. So and if there's not. I have a fucking like I'm not it's not like I'm planning on selling this airplane right anytime soon so and I'm only going to put like make more improvements to it so it's only going to get more valuable uh another quote not to derail this I have a couple more questions I've been thinking of one may take us over the limit but we don't really have a limit. <laughs> wait wait, we put wait. The, oh. we, as far as can like wrap, time can I wrap so. real quick you asked me about the car I didn't you did. really and you started talking thing up. yeah you started talking about airplanes talking about sky cars we want to talk about ground cars <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so then like i was like i looked at the the rent like for me to rent a car for a month because there was a month gap where i wasn't gonna have a car and i was like shit he's gonna be like 1500 bucks or something so i went and bought a volkswagen passat station wagon for four grand and it was like an utter fucking piece of shit car and uh, drove that around, turned around and sold it for five grand. So I made a thousand dollars in a month and then uh, and then didn't I didn't own a car. And thank God, like my parents, when I got back, they were like, you can borrow our car because I was like looking for a car while we were deployed. And couldn't find anything and then uh i really liked this volkswagen rtion which is the uh, sedan and it's like super fast and uh, they just couldn't find one because they don't have new cars they're just not getting new cars from the volkswagen factory so they found me a used one and i walked in the dealership and so this used rtion it had like no good features on it it was forty thousand dollars and Jesus, man. so i was like and it, like it had weird like cosmetic things and it was at 24,000 miles and needed new tires. And I was like, did this guy just like peel out everywhere, you know? And so I was probably, like, yeah. And, and then I was like, all right, dude, I looked at the salesman when we got out of the car and I was like, what else you got on the lot? That's like new. That's, that's a cool car. And, and he was like, well, I saw you looking at that golf in the showroom for like, do you like that car? And I was like, I really like that car. How much is that? And he's like, well, that one's $56,000, but I can show you what I have. Yeah. 
Yeah. For a GTI. A, a Golf R. Okay. So uh, that's like still. Anyway, that, shit. that car is fast as fuck, but every car on the lot had a ten grand markup on it. Yeah, those Golf R's are nice. They're all wheel drive, I believe, right? Yeah. And they're manual. But, so anyway, sorry, I'm not derailing you. I, I, I gotta, we'll, we'll talk more I about gotta, it later. I got a GTI, so he showed me this gray GTI that I now own, and he was like, "This thing is 46," and I was like, "Shit, man!" Like, I could pay forty thousand dollars and get a really shitty sedan, right? I mean, it wasn't terrible, but like, I was like, "Eh, I'm not gonna pay forty grand for this car," or I could just pay another six grand and. Like I have a brand new fucking car, you know, uh, and yeah. it was six speed manual and it's zippy. And I was just like, okay, this is an obvious choice. And I had six grand in cash. So it's just like, eh, six grand down on the car. And then it was 40 grand that I'm financing, which is what I was going to do anyways on the other car. Yeah. So I'm just like, um, and dude, like, honestly, I was going to, like, get a, like, $20,000 Prius and, like, with, like, good gas mileage. But, like, I'm happy I did this because I get in the car and I'm like, man, I really like this fucking car. Right? So, I think that's important. I have more to ask you, but I won't belabor the valued listeners anymore. The valued listeners. Yeah, you you could cut this whole part out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, last question about that car. Is it front-wheel drive, I guess? Uh, yeah. Okay. Um... Okay. Uh, well, I'm glad you got a car you like. Uh, you know, I'm a big car guy, so uh, it doesn't it doesn't have any buttons in it. Everything is like touch. Eh, so, I don't know how I feel about that, but I I don't know how I feel about it either. But like, I'm kind of used to it now, and I'm like, this is kind of fucking cool, dude. So yeah, it's kind of like the Tesla thing, but fucking yeah. Tesla. So I wish I wish you got a Prius. Why? Just so I can make fun of you for it. <laughs> uh, here's a uh, here's a hot take is salsa overpriced is what salsa overpriced like salsa salsa, salsa, salsa. yeah i think it is yeah a hundred percent i'm talking about like you could go you could go buy all the ingredients to make salsa and make it yourself and it would be way yeah. cheaper yeah that, that and also mostly Anytime you come up with, like, somebody has their own, you know, like, not, um, like, the mainstream brands, whatever. I, f- I forget all, like, the Chili's or whatever the fucking brands are. Postino. <laughs> um, if you get, like, you know, yeah, Pace, like, those things. If you just get, like, one of those, um, like, something that came from down the road and it's, like, you know, Mama Tia's Salsa. And it's like nine dollars for a jar. I'm like, what the fuck? Why would I pay that? I could literally buy because all it is is a bunch of canned foods, mix it all together, and then end up with the same shit. Throw some chili uh, peppers in there, and you're good, dude. I think it's, yeah, a, it's they got a racket going. It's canned tomatoes and fucking yeah, jalapeno peppers and onions and. Throw some lemon zest and or lime zest and cilantro in there, and boom, you got salsa, right? Yeah, it's bullshit. Yeah. they got a they got a racket going. I think there's something. There's probably something another term for that because it's like it's like the convenience of it, right? Like yeah. when you go into somebody's party, you're gonna grab those two things. You're not gonna make it yourself, but 
I am starting to look around more often when I like go out to eat or whatever else. And I'm like, I could have made this, you know? That's why I don't go out to eat very often. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I I shit you not. Like I don't think I'm a great cook. I think I'm a pretty good cook. And every time I've gotten a nice steak from like a steakhouse, like I'm talking about like world renowned or not maybe not world world renowned, but like there's like this really really nice one in Nashville, nice place. Like it's like the best steakhouse in Nashville. I got I got some steak. I got some waiku. Supposed to be the best meat you can buy. And I ate it and I was like, dude, I I would have cooked this so much better myself. Yeah. And I was like, how is this possible that I just got this supposedly great cut of meat and it doesn't even taste that good? It wasn't cooked that well and seasons are all off. Anyways, uh, yeah. Uh, my next see, one. See, but you, you went to Nashville's best steakhouse, right? Like, that's probably part of the problem is they're like, yeah, we make Nashville's best steak. They're probably doing it half ass. You know yeah, what I mean? Probably are. They don't know. They never had a struggle for what they got. Yeah. <laughs> It's a premium, yeah. Yeah. Um, on a separate note, but kind of back to the leadership piece. And I can't remember if we talked about this on the podcast. So if tell me, Port, if I have uh, – I've already brought this one up before. So when I first got here, I think – yeah, tell me if, I, if I've said this one already before. But when I first got here, I was talking to this uh, new LT. She was prior E. Um, she had been around the Air Force for a long time. Um, she and she worked. She was basically a uh, um, kind of like a secretary, almost not like not an exec, but she was the uh, like she would, um, you know, for a general, she would iron his clothes, cook him food, all kinds of shit like that. Uh, which I thought I was like, I still find that odd. That the Air Force or the military has these people. A that's what they yeah. called an A. Uh, did I tell the story already? No, I was just saying no. it was, it's odd. Okay. It's odd that they. Uh, do that though they yeah. have that so anyways so he she's around him she gets to you know she's kind of like a confidant so he's talking to her about shit and he tells her you know hey you know like you're not married right now i get it um but if you want to be anything in the air force you got to be married um you got to have kids and you have to like put on this act and she was like, she was saying, she's like, I want to be somebody important at the Air Force, but I just come to realize it's not going to happen. And I know we've talked about this on the podcast before, but like, this is very gatekeepery, you know, where the fact that they say you have to be this way, you have to do this. And these same important people are basically just saying, you have to follow the path that I took if you want to be in a position of power like I am. And I think it's just this whole issue. Um, there's a lot of this whole issue. There's a lot of issues that stem from that when we say, or when the gatekeepers start saying, you need to follow these paths if you want to get to a position of power. And then you end up with the same people always in power because they're the same people are hiring people just like them. And I just thought that was kind of ridiculous to think that just because number one, she's a woman and she doesn't have kids that she couldn't be important. Number one, number one, I would think that would be a positive because she doesn't have to worry about like being distracted with kids and stuff, you know? And then number two, like holding up an image, like it's really us who's it's the people around them and the people in, who are in the higher up who are making these problems. And they're like kind of like the impetus of the problem um, because they say, you can't be you, – you have to be like this if you want to be in this position. And it's just you're not like this. You can't be here. Yeah, I believe it was the RAND study 
did a or Rand Corporation did a study raising the flag about general officers in the different branches and how they're different and you know what the each branch kind of has unique traits. And I believe the Air Forces was like ducks pick ducks, or maybe that was in general all of them, which is like you said, like somebody followed a certain path, so everybody else has to do that, and then that's all you get. You never get any diversity, basically. Right. And yeah, I think it's bullshit. I mean. I think the same thing happens with uh, politicians. Like, it looks better if you're married with kids, because I guess it shows you're like, you know, doing the family thing and stable or whatever else. But I agree. I I think it's bullshit. I think it's dangerous. It should just be who who's ever best or whoever can deliver the most or the has the best potential. You know. Yeah, and the, that's the other thing. Like, I've heard this. Uh, like, I remember when I first got into like when I was at OTS. Somebody told me, because I was talking about, I can't wait to stop shaving so I can just have a mustache. And they're like, officer, it was like this guy, okay, and he was a maintenance guy. And he was like, uh, officers don't have mustaches. I was like, what? I was like, I don't think that's the case. <laughs> and like, I was like, I don't think that's the case. But to me, I hadn't heard anything else. I was like, oh, I guess most officers don't have a mustache. And then that's what they said. And then now, like, there's, there's like, I think a lot of guys have been talking about, um, like, people who, like, a lot of, uh, black and brown people in the military they have shaving waivers because you've got curly hair you get a lot of razor burn razor bumps and stuff and i'm a, I, I have that and for a long time i didn't ever renew my shaving waiver because i didn't want to be a person who stuck out like a sore thumb you know for having a beard and then because you never saw anybody else who have a beard and like now i decided to like actually grow my beard out or like have a basically a five o'clock shadow all the time um even though even though I'm flying because people are saying you can't have it, but like there's literally no one saying you can't have it. Like the rule is you are you are allowed to have it, and people are just like, ah, oh, well, you, if you want to be an, a good officer, you don't have that. And but no one says that. No, like people are just saying that it's not true at all. So yeah, that's it, good. Uh, I think that happened to all of us in a way, or like in some sense, and that's a good lesson on like where is this written type of thing as opposed to yeah. hearsay, you know? Yeah. And like, I, one of the coolest things I saw was, um, <laughs> my, uh, I guess our not rival unit, but the unit that's kind of, uh, across state lines from my Ohio unit in back in Indiana is an A-10 unit and their wing commander has a sick ass mustache. And I was like, I've never seen a wing commander with a mustache. This is ridiculous. Like, I was like, how have I never <laughs> seen this? You know? And, like there's yeah, no one, it and it was cool. like it was within regs and everything, but it was like a solid mustache. And I was like, the fact that he's going around with a mustache is awesome. Because then other people are like, hey, like he's 06 and he has a mustache. It's possible to like have that. There's no <laughs> I thought that was so cool. Yeah, that's pretty good. And it wasn't even deployed. He was just like just in garrison, just chilling. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah. That's kind of all I had to say. About that's all I got to say about that. I want to get a shaving waiver and have a five o'clock shadow all the time. Well, you know, uh, I don't have to tell you on that one. <laughs> if you got a shaving waiver, yeah, sure you could. But you know, also when you shave, your hair doesn't like just curl up and just keep you ingrown hairs all over your entire face. Uh, yeah, that's pretty that's cool. the issue. <laughs> that's no fun, and I dealt with that for. Pretty much my entire Air Force career, but I did see they're making uh, they're making moves on 
getting rid of shaving waivers in total, like just saying you're allowed to have a beard um, as long as it's like less than a quarter of an inch, which I'm like, that's hell yeah. That's uh, they're they're moving, they're, they're proposing it as like it's going up to like big Air Force like pretty soon. So I think that would be pretty cool. Dude, I think General Brown's doing some shit like that. Like I think he's actually moving some stuff around, which is good, you know. Um, yeah. And like he changed, he rehauled the PT system and my eval and all that type of stuff. I mean, obviously growing pain and stuff, but it seems like he's he's actually changing things that need refresh, you know. Oh yeah, the the unit level PTLs. Yeah. Well, oh, I think Goldfield I think General Goldfield had that too, but I think he I think General Brown was the one to change like you could do whatever alternative to push ups or sit ups or something like that. And I think he relaxed some of them too. Or right, he got rid of the waist measure or the waist measurement's gone right now, right? So Yeah, yeah. Which I always thought the waist measurement was a big crack of shit. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, but I got anything else? I got to get going. My phone's got to die. Yeah. Uh, I don't have anything else. Same. Three same. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Shark, for being on. Yeah, brother. Oh, anytime. All right. We'll talk to you guys soon. Yeah, bye. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals and do not reflect the official policy or position of any agency of the U.S. government.